Primate Voting Incentive Trials Journal Entry Test Day 375 We have systematically subjected our Compuchin test monkeys to American political propaganda in order to attempt to explain the phenomena that we experience in the American voting cycle. We raise them in an environment structured to teach them to do a mindless task for eight hours a day in exchange for bananas. We modeled this as closely by proxy to the American school system as we could. At the end of the day, the Compuchins are left with a choice of an assortment of buttons that decide upon the distribution system of said bananas. We have enlarged only two buttons, one red and one blue. We have demonstrated to the primates that either the red or the blue button has always been pressed in the past. We also have gone as far as to inform them that by pressing any other button, they are equivalently throwing away their bananas. Despite our best efforts to persuade them either to press the red or the blue button, they seem to have caught onto the correlation that pressing said red or blue button inevitably leads to their bananas being used to kill the tamarind monkeys on the other side of the lab. We must report yet again another day of failure to link the incentives of the American voter to that of their fellow primate. Tomorrow we set out a new task. We shall lead them to believe that the tamarind monkeys hate their ability to choose the banana button and are a threat to the banana distribution system. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here on the back end of Texas snowpocalypse. Finally got power and water back in my apartment. And we're pretty amped about that. Uh, so Matthew and myself, Logan Carpenter, uh, Matthew Billingsley, obviously, if you guys hadn't caught on yet, uh, we're here to talk a little bit today about hypocrisy, about double standards, uh, and ultimately about rules for thee and not for me. Glad to, glad to see that you're up and running. It's been really fun to watch um, all of the different political people use this to further their own agenda one way or another, but that's not what we're here for. Against the Mob Podcast, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. As Logan said, Matt Billingsley, Logan Carpenter. Um, if, just real fast, guys, the intro song, um, Adaraxis by ATP, is now out on all major platforms. That is myself and another buddy who lives in Taos. Um, he goes under the, uh, find him under the artist name, The Inward Spiral. Um, but anyways, that's out now. Um, we are working on a full album that should hopefully be out um, sometime in the spring. And that's enough shameless plugs for that. Just uh, real quickly for posterity, is that the inward spiral or the inward spiral? It's the in. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> that's wow. That's that's really good. Um <laughs> That went though, yeah. That, wow. Very, very different genres of music, I would imagine. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Well played, Logan. Well played. All right. Well, with that, guys, um, we will just uh, let's let's hop into it. So, what we wanted to talk today about is why why is there two sets of standards for us as individuals and then the state, right? Why is it that we what we know to be wrong and immoral for an, uh, for an individual to do to another? we think it's acceptable for the state to just turn around and do it to us. And so this might be an, an echo of episode three in some ways, we are not the state, but at the same time, we wanted to hop into this and really expand on it and look at the ideas that you know the individual is truly sovereign and that the government doesn't own us. And this absolutely will be in a lot of ways an echo of what we did in episode three, um, hopefully with a lot better sound quality. Matthew and I discussed that a bit before we started it, uh, just in 10 episodes, how far we've come in, uh, doing some minor soundproofing and upgrading our equipment a bit so that hopefully we're not uh, turning anybody off for poor quality issues at this point. Um, but I think that especially in a country where we're supposed to be a democracy and we refer to these people as civil servants, servants being the, the uh, main part of that equation, uh, why is it that these servants of ours can pass laws where they are 
protected, uh, able to take advantage of the system, uh, or even not punished as harshly for, for doing these types of things where you as a citizen uh, are not able to. And I, I think that that's a pretty strong indication, if nothing else, of just the fact that these are not servants of yours. These are not uh, people who are there working as employees of yours as a citizen of this country, that these are, in fact, people who rule over you and that they're going to make laws that, that benefit them uh, to do so. Yeah, every four years, you know, I guess it's every two years we get we get to, we get together and we elect our rulers, and we're going to talk about maybe some ways to be able to push back on that um, without just like tearing the whole thing down. But um, you know, a couple of things that I just wanted to reframe this and put in, into some perspective that I know oftentimes it gets so I don't know so convoluted and so abstract. It's really hard to understand when we talk about force and taxes and theft and slavery and stuff like that, because it it's really hard um, to personalize it, right? But so just on the, we're going to start with just taxation, right? So how, how absurd is it for me? So let's say, okay, I'm going to go knock on my neighbor's door. And I say that I am entitled to any percentage of the fruits of their labor this year. And if he doesn't pay up his protection money, then I'm going to come and I'm going to take his property and I'm going to seize his bank accounts and I'm going to throw him in my own personal jail, right? I'm going to drag him down to my basement and I'm going to lock him up. And if he resists, I can legally kill him. Now we know how ridiculous that sounds, right? Like you, under what authority can you go to your neighbor's house and say, knock, 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 give me 35% of your income this year, right? It's absurd. You have no claim to anybody, uh, to anybody else's money. And Thomas Sowell puts it great. And he says, what is your fair share of someone else's money? And when we, when we dive into this idea that, well, it's for the greater good, or it's the price that we pay for a civilized society or all that other blue pill BS that uh, Logan and I reject. And I think over, well, I think more and more people are starting to come around to reject that, but essentially it's the government coming in and taking taxes. Uh, they say that we have the final say you are not sovereign and what we allow you to keep is allowed by us. And if we want to take all of your money, we will take all of your money, which completely rejects the principles that were set forth in the Constitution, that the individual is sovereign and that the government is there to protect the rights of the people. And I like that you use the term protection money there, because this is a trope that we're all familiar with. We've all seen these old school gangster movies where the mob or the mafia comes in and they knock on your front door at your little sub shop and they tell you like, hey, we need you to pay this protection money. And when everybody sees this in these mob movies, we completely understand that this is uh, a front. This is them providing you protection, but ultimately it's protection from them. That the number one threat that's kind of implied under the table here is that we're going to come in here and mess things up. Um, and for some reason, this gets lost in translation. I think, you know, and you can blame the fact that we all go to state funded schools and we all consume state funded media and, and that all of these things are going to work to this ethereal cathedral that we speak of a lot where they are are there essentially to justify the state and its actions against you but what is the difference when it comes down to this that if the mob comes to my front door and tells me i have to pay them protection money and i refuse and then there are consequences uh, through the threat of force because of that most of these things are justified by our country based on the same premise that the reason you need a spying apparatus that we tap into all of your phones and save all of your cell phone data and know exactly where you are because you have a triangulating device in your pocket uh, and that we're allowed to track that stuff, throw you in prison without uh, uh, even as much as a trial if we claim you're a terrorist um, because it's for your safety. It's for the greater good. It's for the public. And yet these rules time and time again end up getting turned against you when it's convenient for the government or when they have a, a certain uh, thing they want to reach. Um, Matthew and I talked a little bit about Ruby Ridge before this, which is a, a story I was at least tangentially aware of. I'd kind of looked into it a couple times and maybe had forgotten one of the most important factors. And if you're not familiar with Ruby Ridge, it was a time where uh, the ATF and the FBI were coming up on a guy's land. Um, they ended up shooting first his family dog, to which his son didn't know what was going on, had no idea these were federal agents and returned fire. And they ended up shooting and killing this guy's kid. Uh, the next morning, they had a standoff where they shot into his house, wounded the gentleman, and, and again, killed his wife. Um, so basically wiped this guy's family out. Uh, and all of this was under the guise of protection. 
there is some nefarious things happening with guns, that guns were being sold illegally, and that our government had to step in and protect the general public. Now, the part of the story that was really interesting that I had left out and forgotten uh, and intentionally left out in telling you this was this gentleman was not the one manufacturing and selling these guns. He's not even the one who was suspected of it. Rather, he had a neighbor and the F ATF had approached him along with the FBI and asked him to be an informant for the FBI against his neighbor. And he refuses. He said, look, these, these neighbors are dangerous people, I think. I don't trust what they're doing over there, but I'm sure as hell not going to start ratting out my neighbor to the government because they're my neighbor. And because of that, they were trying to sneak onto his land to find dirt on him, which ensued in this firefight and basically wiped off his family from the face of the earth. And because of what? Because of public safety, because he wouldn't talk to the government based on something they wanted him to talk to. And it, this gentleman wasn't even the catalyst of what they were looking into. He was simply a side actor who didn't cooperate with the government. And for that, his line is ended in this world. And I wonder, I wonder what his charges, I wonder what he was charged for, because I do know that he peacefully surrendered after so many hours of the standoff. I wonder what they nailed him for. And it is, and that's a, it's a really great example of just why, like, why is it okay for the government to come in there and do that? But if I was to do that to my neighbor, well, I'm, I'm going down, I'm going down for murder charges. And I understand that sometimes the government does try to police the government, but we all know how well that works out. Um, when you're talking about mob, um, mob money and protection money. I, it reminded me of Goodfellas. I recently watched that. And uh, there's the scene where, you know, where, where the guy goes for protection and, you know, and he's like, Oh, you're late on, you're late on your payment. F you pay me. He's like, Oh, you didn't have a good week. F you pay me. Right. You know, and it's like, and it's one of those things that once you, once you fall under the protection quote unquote of the mob, you now owe them money year in year out week after week. And they don't care if you can pay that or not. Because if you can't, well, then we're going to let you, you're going to sign your business over to us and we're going to liquidate it for insurance money. You know, we're going to burn and down the thing that you love. Even those people who probably bought drink into the Kool-Aid that they thought there was a legitimate threat that the neighborhood mob, I mean, there's plenty of places in this country still today where gangs take foothold and they do. It's not that every one of these gangs is completely nefarious. Some of them are in areas that are doing a better job of protecting those neighborhoods than the police who simply don't want to step foot in there would be doing. Uh, and that's a lot of times why we see these kind of gang cultures proliferate in our society is that they see those as the the men in their area that are protecting them, that are taking care of the neighborhood, that are making sure and giving back to the community. Um, and of course, it can range from that to the more grotesque of what we're talking about with these mobs and mafias. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there. No, that's okay. But um, just to kind of pick it up, Robert Nozak, uh, the 20th century polit political philosopher, he didn't really mince words when it comes to the idea of taxation and earning from other people's labors. You know, he demanded to know what is, you know, how is this any different from forced labor? And I think that, you know, just to continue on like this whole mob thing that at a certain point for the protection, you were working how many weeks, how many days, how many days out of a week, how many, how many hours out of a day, how many days out of a week, how many weeks out of a month, and how many months out of a year to pay off the protection so that you can do it all again next year. And, um, and this is, so I just got done reading The Revolution from Ron Paul. I strongly, strongly recommend that everybody reads it. It's, it breaks away from the tradition of like campaign books um, because I think that there's actually like some insightful things and some worthwhile things reading. It's not just about reading about like Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama's, you know, self-inflated autobiographies where look how great we are because we are, we are statist and we will, and we, you know, uh, we, we strive to be the biggest statist that we ever could be. Um, but in, in, uh, in, uh, in the revolution from Ron Paul, and I quote this people who favor this system. And he's talking about like, essentially taxation through the through the threat and force of violence people who favor this system should be honest about what they're saying we have the right to force you to work against your will if you strip away all all if you strip away the civics class platitudes about the contributions to society and that brought it back to me that's kind of before i went on my tangent about why people drink the kool-aid of these gangs and these mobs um that's what i'm saying there's some people who probably did buy into this that i do need this protection but, or that we have the David's neighborhood, but rather than paying you to protect me, I've never had a problem or I have my own firearms. I have a, a staff here. Maybe my family runs this restaurant. I think we can protect it fine with the, the arsenal that we have. 
But the part of the story is that you aren't allowed to choose to do it on your own. They're going to become forces in the, in the mob's case, they're going to become forces that are too strong for you to overcome. And, uh, and it's going to be inflicted by, in all likelihood, the mafia or somebody contracted to them. But in the form of our government, it's not any different. If you don't want to buy into this, well, I don't, I don't think I agree with our defense budget because I think we're mainly murdering people in foreign countries with it. And I don't, I don't want to buy into that. Well, we have to throw you in prison for, for fighting the state if we do that. Uh, and even to the extent of if you become self-sufficient in this world, if you are able to find your own water source and create your own electricity and have your own farm animals and your own crops and, and everything, you have your, your house paid off, your land paid off, you've got your own sustainable livestock herd, you've got your own crops that you take seeds from carefully every year to make sure you can plant more crops for your family, you still are going to be coerced into paying taxes on that property that you're on. Uh, you're still going to be coerced to pay taxes on uh, any ethereal income that you make out of that. Even if you're not uh, making one single U.S. dollar that year, they're going to find a way to to calculate your profits based on your own land and tax you upon that, or at least present you a tax bill for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we're getting at here. This this isn't if it was something that we all needed protection from X, Y, or Z, and we paid into it voluntarily, then absolutely. But when you're coerced by a force that has a supreme monopoly on that force and you're not allowed to do anything about it, we think that's immoral. Yeah, absolutely. And before we rabbit hole on taxes, I just want to, you know, always back up and, you know, make notes, right? Because I do understand that money has to be leveraged through communal means sometimes, right? And it's actually a very effective way to do it. And I have no problem with the active, you know, the willing and active participation as long as I consent, or as long as the people who are putting up funds actually consent. And I think that is the big difference between raising funds through private organizations or um, donations and stuff like that versus just, we are going to take this via the form of a tax. Because at that point, you know, I can opt in and I can donate if I want, or if I want the benefit of this thing, then I will pitch in to actually make it happen. And something that something that's you know that's really interesting that i've watched unfold over the last like four or five days i watched an internet memer right um this kid 25 year old kid who i think he still lives with his mom in new york who has one who has a huge instagram and twitter following i mean last time i saw it was like over six hundred thousand people but anyways he to celebrate and you know in this is in bad taste as well but to celebrate rush limbaugh's death and to leave something in his honor he starts a gofundme to donate to planned parenthood and just for the record it's like uh i don't really have anything to say against rush limbaugh um or i don't have anything i don't have anything to add to that thing right i think he he did some good things he said some terrible things um may he rest in peace i think that's about all i have to say about that um but it's really funny, though, this, that this that the Internet really to, you know, in this spiteful action to really shove it to the legacy of, of Rush Limbaugh, they raised over a million dollars in 72 hours. The kids started to winning. It was the goal was ten thousand dollars. He raised ten thousand dollars in less than two hours. Right. In less than 72 hours, a bunch of people brought their funds together and pulled over a million dollars, a million dollars. I looked at it this morning and it was like a hundred, it was like $1.17 million and it just keeps going up. I mean, people just keep donating. And we're talking about the crazy thing about it is that the average donation is $25. That is a lot of people tossing in $25, over a million dollars. And that, and to me, that is one of those things that because this kid is deaf, I mean, let's call, I'm going to call him just a leftist. I don't say that to, you know, like disparage him or anything, because I think he is pretty funny half the time. Um, uh, but you have a, a leftist who raised a million dollars for the charity of his choice and a bunch of people willingly bought into it. And if that doesn't show you how volunteerism and how voluntary contributions and actions are so much better than coercion, then I don't know what it is because how would, you know, it's like those people that donated $25 that they did that on their own free will, but it's a completely different thing. Now, if Mr. Um, if Mr. Instagram memer gets to come and say, you will give me $25 for this, whether you, you agree with it or not. And I, to, for the life of me, I can't understand the cognitive dissonance that occurs 
in like um, in like leftist thinking, because while this is going on, while you're seeing this awesome um, example of how the free market works and how a voluntary society can actually function and how we can take care of each other and you don't have to have the state putting a gun barrel to your head to say you will participate. They're also saying they're saying, well, we still need more state. And it's like, oh, but you just you right. just proved that it can work. That's the uh, and we say that a lot, but that's the weird uh thing I have with Jimmy Dore where I mean Jimmy Dore is right on almost everything he says until he gets to the point where uh the solution hits the table. It's like uh proofing your algebraic equation perfectly and then having the wrong answer at the end for some reason of well, we need more state interference. Um, you know, this also reminded me of uh, an article I read by a, a Judeo-Christian scholar um, based on the old Jewish tradition of sacrifice uh, and kind of the way that plays into government creating these systems that are here to make you dependent. These things that turn you into uh, a wage slave is the word that keeps coming to mind for me, where even if you are self-sufficient, you still have to pay taxes. Therefore, you still have to come into the American economy in some way and, and start generating money, finding a job, you got to fill out a tax form um, that it, you really can't be self-sufficient. You can't be a pioneer in these day and age because they're going to force you into it. Um, in the same way, the idea of sacrifice in the Jewish tradition, where you read in the old Testament of them bringing, you know, the, the best calf or lamb that you have available, or if you can't afford it, you brought a, a dove or a rabbit or whatever the case was. Um, this is one of these things that's kind of been lost in translation over years and years because sacrifice used to be, you brought your lamb to the slaughter, you laid it upon the, the coals so that it made a, and I think the, what it's been translated to now is a pleasant scent for the Lord, uh, that the cooking of this animal, but the part that's been translated out and that no longer sits in your Bible, but was in the original version is that that sacrifice was used to feed orphans and, widows and the poor and the homeless in your community, um, that this was uh, something in a more of a free market than we have, at least now, where they came together as a community, they saw a need for something, and they guised it under, this is what we're doing for our God, but what they were really doing was taking care of their community and their family, their immediate surroundings. Uh, and just another, another example of how when you allow the free market to make these decisions, when you allow it to come together, um, you see beautiful things like this. People figure it out. They, and most of us have empathy within us. Um, Franz D. Wall's Age of Empathy is one of my favorite books of all time. He's a primatologist who uh, did extensive studies on this. And, and it's something that goes back to, uh, you can even find monkeys that still have tails that, that understand empathy for each other and, and working together. And we as a species didn't get here being lone wolves. We are ultimately pack animals. We are supposed to work off of each other uh, and, and find ways to, to help out the lessers of our community to, to bring them along. And I think sometimes people have a misguided idea of what capitalism and free market economies are because they hear the word competition and they think, oh, so everybody starves to death who doesn't make the cut. But I, I don't think that that's the way human nature works. I don't think that's the way human beings work in general. I agree 100%. And it is... Um... It is the belief that, you know, it's, and maybe this is why um, libertarians are just like liberty minded people, right? Let's just call ourselves the Liberty Gang. I'm um, just still that from Jamie Kane. But it seems that we as libertarians, we actually do believe that people are good and are capable of actually helping each other and looking out for each other. And we don't believe that I have to force you to participate to actually get somewhere in society, right? Um, and Ron Paul really sums this up the best. And I had to search for this quote, but I just found it. It says, quote, we have lost the belief that freedom works because we no longer have the imagination to conceive how a free people might love its problems without introducing threats of violence, which is what government solutions ultimately amount to. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Where we've We've gotten caught in this system and the momentum of the state and of the the preachings of the cathedral and it's this red red pill blue pill dichotomy that you hear us talk about a lot uh and again i want to probably stress one more time as i have before that i think too many people hear red pill pill and think oh this is some alt-right talking point uh there's plenty of people on that alt-right that we consider blue pill pill people uh, that the, they are using the term wrong. They saw a cool thing from the matrix and, and maybe a lower IQ individual didn't understand the metaphor, but what it is is understanding the enemy in the same way that when he took the 
red pill neo comes out of the matrix and is able to see the world for what it really is to see that we're all enslaved by the powers that be in this case skynet and the robots but uh in our own case by our our despot leaders and oligarchies that uh that rule over us um but what this what we're trying to get at there is when you take this red pill you understand that <laughs> this this is a power structure that has its own set of agenda its own ideas of how to run things and its own goals to reach and they're not necessarily for the best of the community absolutely i mean you can even take the draft as an example of that right um and this is and like i said i have lots of ron paul quotes um from this um because i just got done reading his book and it's fresh in my mind but i believe this is from let's see I think the, maybe this is Daniel Webster. I'm not sure. I just put quotes and I didn't actually attribute to who, uh, to who, who it is, but it says the draft is a totalitarian institution based on the idea that the government owns you and can dispose of your life as it wishes. I mean, and it's one of those, as, as 21st century Americans, we are pretty far removed from the draft. However, I know people that were drafted up to Vietnam who are, you know, you have the unlucky, you know, you have the unlucky stroke of having your number fall on the, on the lottery pick, and before you know it, you're a whisk away from your home, you're sent to basic training. Six weeks later, you're shipped across an ocean to, to a country that doesn't even want you there, that doesn't, they can't even understand why you're actually there, right? Because how do you explain to, how do you explain to a, a rice farmer in the, in the, you know, the countryside of South Vietnam that you're there for their freedom? It's like, um, but, but you're here burning down my villages in the pursuit of Viet Cong. So can you please tell me how you're here for my freedom? Right. And I don't, I, I don't want to rabbit hole just on, uh, on Vietnam, but it is just that, that, that premise that, that I think that as we, we as liberty loving people and we as a society, we have to reject because even though that I I'm now I'm old enough, I could probably, I, I I'll, I'll find my way out of the draft somehow. Mexico, Mexico is a lot closer to Canada. Um, I'm I'll weasel my way out of that one because I refuse to be conscripted to go fight for some cause that I don't believe in. If there's a moral cause, then sure. Um, and there's actually a really cool um, concept called the, the just, just war theory um, that I studied a little bit in college, but that's a, that's another sidetrack. But at the end of the day, right. Is we as individuals, we are not pawns for the government to use as they please. And that is exactly what the draft is. And I had to register for the selective services to get federal um, aid for college. And I, I don't know if you did or not, Logan, but I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of young people every year who check yes on that box so that they can get access to federal funds for college. And in return for access to those funds, not only do you have to pay them back. However, if we need your body, you have now you've now agreed to be a conscript and we will do with your life as we see, please, as 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 you know, as we um, watch that, whatever, you know, funny, uh, short aside here. Um, I actually when I was 18 years old, um, I was still under the impression that we didn't count votes. I didn't think <laughs> I really think Trump was the first time I saw a president get elected and, and realizing that the establishment didn't want him in that I went, Oh, I guess they do at least on some level count these votes. Um, but at that point I was still pretty nihilistic about the government. I thought it was all just run by the CIA, uh, which I don't think I was too terribly far off on that particular idea at that point. Um, but I, I essentially saw it as wasted time. I thought it was silly to go vote. Um, and I also knew that to sign up to vote also signed you up for the possibility of a draft. So I was pretty happy not to, um, and I can remember being a very upset 18 year old child uh, when one day my mother came home excited because she had registered me to vote. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding me. What if you just gave my life up to go fight for some, what if I get to go to the Middle East now and fight these unjust wars? Um, and I think that that's a, another point I wanted to make is just if Vietnam's too far removed from you, think about what we're doing right now in the Middle East. There are still the, the small percentage in this country who have a, a holdout for why that is a good idea. Uh, and ironically, we've almost seen it switch where it used to be very right wing individuals that would justify the wars. And, and now that Donald Trump tried to pull a couple troops out, that it's people on the left that seem to be making the argument that, well, there actually is a good reason that we have people over there and that the poor this or that communities that will never check up on five years after the war. Um, but nevertheless, most of us understand that we've been in the two decades of war in countries that had no hope of ever uh, rising up against us or bringing any kind of terror to the United States. And that may be the first only reason they were terrorizing us in the first place was because we killed their fathers 20 years ago in George Bush Sr.'s wars. Uh, and yet, 
if things get hairy enough, if we decide to finally go into uh, Iran, which would be a, a much more hands-on war than what we've seen in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, a legitimate strong military country, that you could be drafted into that. And that knowing that it wasn't even that country that sent those planes into the, the towers at 9-11, uh, and how many of us even think it's justified that we're over there, even with those a small group of people decide to bomb your country. And so you decide to completely dispose uh, of their leadership in their country to to destabilize an entire region to send them back into the essentially the Stone Age. <laughs> I mean, it, there's most Americans would see this as an immoral war at this point, And yet you can be conscripted by your government to go fight this war no matter what your politics or your beliefs are about it. Yeah. And it is, I've, I've also, I found a really cool cover of fortunate son, um, but I can't remember her name, but I've been listening to that song the last couple of days. And it, it, it's such a really good, really good song. And the lyrics highlight so much, right? I'm not, I ain't no millionaire son, because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's poor people, poor people go fight wars, you know, rich people right. usually get out of it. Um, especially, especially in the modern day, I think uh, like world War two may have been a little different because you did have some, you did have like high, you know, high profile families whose sons did sign up and I'm not here to, and I'm not here to criticize, right? Like why, why we fight world War two, why we fight Vietnam. That's a completely different topic. Why, why we went over the middle East in response to nine 11, right? That's not, that's not what we're trying to get at. Uh, the point that we are trying to get at is that essentially the government believes that they own you. And that is completely backwards from what the founders had originally anticipated because, you know, the, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution was designed to restrain the government, not the people. And uh, we'll hear, I have, this is another Ron Paul quote, right? We're just going to throw Ron Paul at you all day. Uh, quote, our Constitution was written to restrain government, not the people. Government is always tempted to turn that maxim upside down. Little wonder George Washington, the founder of our country, once said, government is not is not reason. It is not eloquent. It is force like fire. It is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. And I mean, you can you can take the draft to its uh, logical conclusion, which is, is just slavery. You know, um, that's you, you're you're being forced into something against your will. We have the modern day equivalency of, you know, slavery in the prison industry, the prison industrial complex. Right. And it's one of those things that prisoner reform is a really hard thing to get popular support for. But I, it's I mean, the 14th is the 14th Amendment that abolishes slavery. Correct. Um, I need to brush yeah. up on um but you know there is a there is an excerpt it, it does abolish slavery unless you are convicted of felonies and then at that point you are free to um you know you're free to be used as the state sees to use you yeah you know use you as it sees fit and once again i'm not here to like don't don't just straw man these arguments and throw out the immediate counters because i i can i can talk back and forth with myself all day on like counter argument to what i just said counter argument to what I just said about what I just said, right? The point that we are trying to drive home is that why, why is it that we as sovereign individuals who our rights are not granted to us by our government, right? The American constitution was written to protect our rights, which are endowed by our creator, inalienable than every human, right? And just because someone lives outside of the United States doesn't mean that they also don't have the exact same rights because these are human rights, right? These are, these are rights that are, um, that are given to us by our nature of, and our very existence of just being a person. Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the show to introduce our newest sponsor. I am beyond thrilled to let you guys know about Lauren Zadi Coffee. That's right. I said it. Lorenzotti Coffee. Lorenzotti Coffee brings premium, authentic Italian coffee right to your front door. Even though a trip to the rolling hills of Tuscany is preferable, you can taste the flavors right from your kitchen in any town in America. Lorenzotti Coffee was founded and is run by two liberty-loving entrepreneurs whose passion is coffee. They believe coffee should be more than burnt beans brewed into a cup of sugar, hurriedly served by someone just counting the minutes until their next break. So go check them out to get premium Cafe de Italiano dropped off right at your front door. When you check out, use the promo code ATM10 for 10% off your purchase. Again, use the promo code ATM10. That is A as in against, T as in the, and M as in mob. It's a win, win, win. You get great coffee and help support a small business just trying to sling some beans and in turn help them support us. You can find them online at laurenzotti.coffee. All right, let's hop back into the show.
And I think that's interesting that you brought that up as well, that these are unalienable human rights, not American rights. Uh, and yet we've seen these for a long time get troused overseas. We don't seem to care about torturing people when we need to or sending in black water under private contracts to do the dirty work that we're going to act like we're too, too nice and want to keep our hands clean of. Um, but these are just examples of the way we go in here and, and have this dissonance between us as Americans and what the other people are. Um, and that enough is grotesque. Uh, and I think what's hopefully we're trying to wake people up to is that these are going away for you as well, that they're, you know, I mean, the, the suspension of habeas corpus being a great example of it, this, these things that have been recognized as human rights and praised as such by scholars in the Western world for a long time are, slowly because it's more convenient for the state to enact its own agenda they're removing these hurdles that they have towards their own power one by one and they're going to continue to present it as safety for you as a public or for you know the the better future the greater good these are the the kind of language they use the patriot act and the you know all these they, we have these beautiful flowery words that we like to put on these acts that are ultimately just here to create more of this hypocrisy where you are not allowed to have your own rights, but it sure isn't going to take it away from these government officials who are making the rules, these oligarchs who get to decide who uh, is and isn't allowed to do these sort of things. Mm -hmm. Judge uh, Andrew, Na oh, what is it? Napolitano. Napolitano, <laughs> Na Napolitano man. I, I, I'm not tongue-tied today i'm sorry guys thank you for bearing with me and all my stutters and stumbles but you know he has a great quote in the revolution as well and it says quote why should government agencies spy on us they work for us how about we spy on them on cops when they arrest and interrogate people or contemplate suspending freedoms on prosecutors when they decide whom to prosecute and what evidence to use on judges when they rationalize away our guaranteed rights on members of Congress whenever they meet with a lobbyist, mark up a piece of legislation, or compose an assault to our liberties or our pocketbooks. And I think that just what we are really trying to drive home is why is there a separate set of standards for what the government can do to us when it is wrong and immoral for us to do that to anybody else, right? Like the Fourth Amendment protects you from unwarranted search and seizure. Where's that? It's It's gone out the door. Um, and the, the crazy thing is, is like, if I, if I'm peeping in my neighbor's window, right, that's, I, I don't know if that's actually a crime or not, but it's definitely creepy um, at the very least. But at the same time, if I start stalking them, I think that is, is stalking an, a legitimate crime that you can prosecute someone for? You could certainly get a restraining order if you're concerned for your life. I don't know exactly what the parameters around sure. getting something like that are, but uh, there obviously is some kind of legal protection for it we'll right say. recourse from someone just following you around watching what you do reading your mail which i know is actually that's a federal offense, federal offense in fact. why is it so why is it if i was to do that to my neighbor which i wouldn't because i don't care right what, what are they doing that i need to be so interested in their life but but regardless why is it okay that the government does that to us on a routine daily basis and there's not a blink of an eye, right? We don't, we don't even, we don't even think about it as 21st century Americans. And I wonder if we've just been so inundated to the language of the Patriot Act. And I mean, we're talking about something that I was, I was 10 when the Patriot Act came out, man. And I've been alive longer in the Patriot Act and a world at war on the quote unquote war on terror then I was alive outside of that, right? And there now we have kids in Afghanistan and in Iraq that were weren't even born when 9/11 happened, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. like what is the? I mean, that's a we can we can rant about war <laughs> all day long, but it is just um, I think a, a good little segue is um, gun control. What, what do you think about gun control, Logan? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a, a really interesting one in in a time where we've seen constant rollbacks of our own ability to have different firearms where these things are too dangerous for you to have as a civilian population. Uh, and we need to scale back all these sort of things. Meanwhile, we've seen at the exact same time, we've legalized the right for our executive branch to murder American citizens if they see fit. Uh, now they do have to probably slap the, a terrorism rubber stamp on it before they do so. They have to make sure they put that word somewhere in their report. But your government can use a drone that 
flies far enough above your head that you could never even see or hear it drop a, a missile directly on your head and kill you and your family. Uh, and no big deal with that. And yet it's very important that you as a civilization, a citizen group don't have the, the proper firearms uh, to protect yourself. And I think it's also kind of telling that a lot of, a lot of the argument has even turned in recent years to, well, you couldn't overthrow the government anyway with your weapons. So why are you trying to fight tanks with assault rifles? You should just give them up. And it's, uh, I always kind of like to point to, well, have you seen what's going on in Afghanistan right now? Those goat farmers are doing a pretty good job of holding this off or Vietnam as well. where a bunch of rice farmers with uh, thrown together AKs or, or weapons they had. They were able to hold off the greatest empire and greatest military the world's ever seen. Um, and that, of course, is another aside, but just a lot of what this is in here for is for us to be able to have some kind of pushback against force, whether it be government or outside of that government influence. Um, and this is something maybe Matthew and I are a little more well acquainted with from being out in the middle of the country. I think it it is interesting, the argument that gun rights maybe comes down a little bit more to suburban versus urban areas, where if you were five minutes away from a police officer at all times, there's maybe a stronger argument that you don't need protection for yourself. But when you live 45 minutes away from the police station out in the middle of the country and somebody comes to your front door, you probably can't stall for 45 minutes until the cops get there. Um, but even more over that, you you have a right to defend yourself. Why would they be able to take away the tools that you're using to defend yourself and use it under the guise of safety while only continuing to expand the arsenal that they're allowed to use against you as a government themselves? The whole thing just really, really baffles me. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty clear. The language says shall not be infringed, right? And we've already seen lots of rollbacks on how that is. And you can make arguments, and I disagree with almost all of them about why you shouldn't be able to have certain weapons. Um, because I think it's one of those things that when, when this is going on, right, um, the technology that a farmer in let's New England has is not it's pretty much the same technology that um, that the British Army has right and so it has been this this technological technological advance that has um, produced greater weapons of war that you know it's like I would love to own a tank if I could you know if I could afford one like why not I'd love I'd love to own a tank um, which I, I believe have, is as long as you don't have an operational turret is actually legal in the United States well, but then what's the you know that's half the fun though you know it's like you're taking <laughs> it's like it's like you're gonna give me an ice cream cone and you just give me the cone and I'm getting ice cream it's like what's the what's the point of you having a tank at that point right but <laughs> but why is it okay for the state to own guns but they're trying to roll back our our rights as Americans to own guns right why is it okay that these people who are trying to pass this legislation are protected by firearms, but they don't think the Ameri that they don't think the average American has the same right to the same degree of defense. And I think it just really shows that. I mean, I, I hate to be a I don't know I hate to just throw it out there, but we're we're peasants and they do not care about us. And if and for one second, if you think the state actually does care about you, it's like well, once again, can you tell me where you're where you're what rock you're sticking your head under because I'm, t I'm tired of ranting, uh, you know, I'm tired of this like anti-state rants and stuff because and I think uh, uh, that's a big part of what we're getting at here today is all those questions we're asking, why is it okay for them to do these types of things to you when they don't hold themselves to the same standards? There's one really easy answer to that. And that is that they are your rulers. They are not your civil servants. These are your modern day kings, queens, monarchs, whatever the, the term is you want to use and, and just a new amalgamation that sounds a little more flowery in the same way the Patriot Act sounds like something that any good patriot couldn't get behind. If you love your nation, how could you be against the Patriot Act? They use these terms like civil servant or your senator or governor. Uh, but what that really means is I get to be in power for at least the next two years, if not longer, and a lot of these with no term limits, and I get to make all the rules for you. And I want to bring up a little example here again while we're talking about uh, the government killing American citizens, uh, just to show you kind of where this goes here. Um, there was a gentleman named uh, Anwar Al-Awlaki. Al excuse me. Um, this gentleman came from the Middle East. He was an American citizen, uh, and he was killed in a, a drone strike under the Obama administration um, for being suspected links to Al-Qaeda. And so when you hear something like that, you go, that's kind of crazy that we killed an American citizen. But 
you know, it is for our safety. This is a gentleman who is loosely and the last name. The last name doesn't sound quite quite American enough. <laughs> That's true. If it was Smith, he may not have gotten uh, that drone bombing. Um, but nonetheless, this gentleman was suspected of of potentially aiding Al Qaeda. Um, I believe he was from Yemen, also. Which, uh, again, if you're worried doesn't about terrorist cause in the court of public opinion and just the the thought of you know if you're worried about terrorism and i make the argument of most terrorism comes from blowback it's pretty i don't think i have a single example of terrorism for the sake of stifling freedom um then you can probably look at yemen what's going on what was happening in yemen at this time Uh, a genocide was happening in yemen right now the american air force was backing saudi arabia troops uh to make sure that we blocked off their ports They, they couldn't get in cholera uh medication one of the simplest thing. I mean, uh, this is something that's been eradicated in modern medicine, and yet we're allowing elderly and children to die of this horrific disease where they essentially throw up and, and have diarrhea until they die. Um, but anyway, this gentleman who was uh, suspected of maybe being a little bit upset that his uh, home country before he became an American citizen was uh, living under a genocide here. So just to nip that in the bud, we went ahead and drone bombed that gentleman. Uh, so the second person I want to bring up here would be uh, Abdullahim uh, Al-Waki, who is this gentleman's son. Uh, I believe he was 16 years old. He left American soil just long enough to go visit his father, I think uh, because he was worried maybe to visit family during burying of this father after we'd killed him. Uh, and they decided that he might potentially have been radicalized by his father getting killed by the American government. So we went ahead and we drone bombed him as well uh, just to kill this 16-year-old American citizen born in America. Uh, but he went overseas and we would drop a bomb on his head. And then I think uh, even if you're going to sit there and go, well, yes, but he was leaving America to go to the Middle East. He also kind of had these ties with Al Qaeda. You know, who knows what else was going on with this kid? 16 years old is pretty grown up in some areas of the world. So maybe he deserved to die for being a terrorist. Uh, so the last one I wanted to bring up, which this one I wasn't aware of until we started doing some research. Um, and I actually don't think it posted her name, uh, but SEAL Team 6 went in to recover some data from a computer, uh, an Al-Qaeda computer. They busted in, raided a building, uh, basically shot everybody inside. Uh, One of these victims was the eight-year-old daughter of this gentleman. Uh, She took a bullet right to the head because they needed some information from a computer. You would think maybe eight-year-old girl would be something that we could sign off as not being (laughs) a threat during this raid. Um, But... She was in the way. We needed some information from a computer. So we shot a six-year-old child, excuse me, eight-year-old child in the head, little girl, and ended her life uh, simply because we didn't like what her father was talking about. This is a, a six-year-old American citizen that was killed by our government. And even if we, it's so like, just to play devil's advocate here, um, even if we have those details wrong, right, maybe there is some really strong evidence that supports doing that. The point that I want to drive home is that, well, the government still has the the legal authority to kill you. I don't have the legal authority to kill anybody. I go down for murder. Certain states still have the death penalty. Um, You know, I can spend anywhere from 25 to life, or I I guess it's just uh, lethal injection now. Um, But but yeah, so, but why is it that, why is it that the government has this authority to exert force in a monopolistic way that we ourselves couldn't do to an individual, right? And we and we know that it is wrong, right? Thou shalt not kill. It's not that 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 one's not hard, right? That that is that natural extension of we don't we don't hit kids and we don't take their stuff. We certainly don't kill them for their popsicle, right? Um, and so why is it that we give the government this this monopoly on force? And that and for me, it's one of those things that I just can't I can't help but just be a little suspicious about why the government wants to take your guns away. And I've heard that someone put this, put it this way. The government wants to p- take your guns away because they're planning on doing something that you would shoot them for. Um, and I, you know, and I'm not here to incite the revolution or anything like that, but it is, but it's in the idea behind the second amendment, because I had this like, Oh, it's hunting weapons, it's a well-regulated militia. Right now, we can define what is a well-regulated militia and we can have those type of debates and discussions. And, you know, like we can hash all of that stuff out in the public forum. But it's pretty simple. Shall not be infringed. And when they introduce things like House Bill 125 and House Bill 127, well, we're going to it's always vague and and, and ambiguous language, language, right? It's like 
well, we're going to ban assault style weapons. What is, what is that? Is it a semi-automatic rifle? You know, for those that know Abla, you know, it's just like I pull the trigger once and one shell is, one cartridge is expelled, right? I pull the trigger again, ping, ding, ping, ping, right? Now, maybe like a repeating rifle, like a automatic weapon or something. I hold it down and now I get more, more bullets per trigger pull than one. But it's like, so they want to ban assault style weapons. It's like, so what, an AR-15 has a scary looking end on it. So now for it's an assault style weapon and you know, and there's there's already bans on weapon of wars, right? It's like, do you know how hard it is to get? Um, do you know how hard it is to get a silencer? Do you know how hard it is to get a fully automatic weapon? It is extremely laborious. It is extremely expensive, and it is filled with so much red tape. Only like the most dedicated people really go through, or the or like well connected, right? Because some people like former military and former like government secret service people that I know they, they have those type of things, but it's still, um, I mean, magazine tax, what's a high capacity magazine more than 10. It's like, well, what if I'm, what if I'm, what if there's a bear coming into my house? And I know probably a lot of people don't live in areas that you have bears, but I have bears. Um, what if a bear's come in my house and I, I don't know. And it's one of those things that I don't mean to better, rabbit hole. On better specific. use those 10 rounds really well make sure those 10 yeah, rounds are and, sufficient for killing a bear yeah and it's one of those things that i don't mean to dive into into like specifics about it but a 223 or a 5.56 is what ar-15 shoot it is not a very big round right like i you would have trouble taking down an elk with one of those um now if there's a bear coming at me and it's just somehow like clawing its way into my house why it's doing that i don't know but but the reason that is it's like well maybe i need more than 10 rounds um but it's just, but the whole, the whole idea is what I disagree with. You're going to charge me a magazine tax. You're going to ban high capacity magazines. You're going to make me have gun insurance. And the problem with this is, is that you're going to turn regular law buying citizens into criminals overnight. And now all of a sudden you either comply and pay up more protection money, or you are now branded as a, you know, you're now a felony gun owner and the ATF can come in and do with you as they please. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's, and it, for people that are advocating for that, it's like, if you don't want to own a gun, then don't own a gun. And I'm not here to tell you that you have to own a gun. I think every house, I think there should be a gun in every house in America. Um, because what happens when, even if the police are five minutes away, if there's someone breaking down your door, who's intent on harming you and your family, well, well five minutes is an awfully long time. Do you know how long it is to do a, a minute of planks? Right. Think of yeah. five minutes of planks. That's exactly. I was about to say, hold, hold your up. breath. See if you make it five minutes. You know, that's <laughs> that's a long time to be uh, it, those five minutes doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're actively adrenaline pumping, heart beating out of your chest, worried about somebody coming into your house and killing you and your family, five minutes is an eternity. That's a very long time. Mm hmm. And guns are tools, right? Guns are no different than hammers or anything else. It is literally just a tool. Now, the problem is that people choose to misuse that tool. And um, and that's a completely other topic that one of these days we're going to hop into gun control. And we're going to talk about gun ownership and gun responsibility and the rights that or the responsibility that come with the right of owning firearms, because I think it's an awesome thing. Everyone should know how to own and operate a gun. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think, is it Maj? Maj Tari, um, who's the the Black Guns Matter guy. I mean, it's it's Thanks awesome, Ray, right? But yeah, that's the that's the one. Yeah, yeah. So it, the whole premise is that well, armed armed minorities are much harder to kill, and which I don't disagree because an armed populace is much harder to kill. But then just like not to not to get like stuck so much on and this. But real quick before we move on, another yeah. grotesque thing that they're doing. Besides, you know, even if you think that gun control does need to happen. We're also seeing legislation passed where they're trying to outlaw bulletproof armor. And why are they trying to out? What could possibly be the justification if they're going to take your guns away and also your ability to not be killed by a gun away? That has some pretty dark implications to it. It's it's hard to ignore that when the government tries to take your guns away, they are probably doing on some. They're probably planning on doing something that you would shoot them for. I yeah. think that that's a really hard premise and to. On that to same note, if they're taking away your uh, bulletproof armor, then they're probably doing it because they think there might be an occasion in the future where they need to be able to take you out. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so just to kind of 
to to keep the conversation moving forward it's like so one is just like that question is how do we actually how do we actually take back our liberties how do we gain control of this system and actually return the government to its at first constitutional republic form a government of the people for the by of the people for the people by the people derived from the consent of the governed right that's the first you know first and foremost we've got to get there but i think that the problem that is facing America in 2021 is that I am from a generation that were, that we were told that we were free, but we were never taught that we were free. We sent, you know, we said the pledge of allegiance every morning, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Right. Why, why do we tell kids to do that every single day for how many years of their life? Right. It's, we, we talk about the land of the free and the home of the brave, but there's almost no, training and education or incentives for the government to actually teach you that you are a sovereign person, which is why like state schools, uh, my mom's a school teacher. I love her. And I think that uh, this, you know, the school systems, they are what they are. Um, but at the same time, like we can't ignore where it comes from, it comes from the Prussian model of education, which was the indoctrination of the state designed to make good factory workers and faithful soldiers. So, I mean, if your right. education model is based on that, School well, comes from the Prussian word shul. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's where that comes from. Right, and that was uh, an overhaul. They had, uh, and this is what Prussian military was, after this was enacted, was seen as some of the best military up until that point in history. Uh, it was very highly regarded. Um, and that's why they turned their entire citizen base into robots, essentially. And we see that even today where maybe not as much the military side, uh, necessarily with the American public school system, um, but what do you do all day? You go sit in a cubicle, you get used to a nine to five, you clock in on time. You don't say anything when the, the boss is talking or the teacher's talking. I mean, these things are, are designed not to, to the bathroom. That's right. May I please use the restroom? Uh, they, de they're designing you to become a good robot, to make sure that you sit down and you become a wage slave. They're not there asking you how to fix the world. They're not asking you what your ideas are to, expand the American economy, uh, not teaching you ideas of freedom like we mentioned before. They'll they'll move the goalpost a bit. It's uh, very useful to convince you that you're free because you're not going to seek freedom if you're already free. So they want to make sure and tell you every day that you live in the land of the free and the home of the brave and that, thank God I'm an American and everything is great here because I'm an American and, and no other country has it as good as me. But they're never going to tell you what it truly means to be free. They're not going to teach you about the the varying degrees of freedom like we understand there's uh uh is it cattle slavery uh which is essentially what we had in america where you bring over people but there are a lot of forms of slavery there's wage slavery there's forms of slavery where they conscript you as part of the family and they bring you in the old slavic uh viking raiders would bring people in and, and their form of slavery was a lot softer than what the african-americans saw here in our nation, but they were still ultimately slaves. I mean, there this slavery is a large term that incorporates incorporates a lot um, and can't be broken down into just one simple concept. There are many forms of it. And we would argue here wage slavery as well and the way that the government is going to make sure that you continue to have an incentive to work every day for the American economy because they're going to draw those taxes out of you. Um, but that's ultimately what we're doing. This is this is programming is what school is. Think about the the useful things you learned in school. How many of them lended to entrepreneurial uh, pursuits in your life? How many of them taught you to be better at avoiding a crazy tax bill at the end of the year? How many of them encouraged your creativity versus how many of them taught you to sit still on a desk and shut your goddamn mouth for 12 hours a day? Oh, you can't do that? Have some Ritalin, have some Adderall, right? And I think the whole idea, it's like the... I'd love to do an episode on like charter schools versus uh, like charter schools versus homeschooling versus uh, like public schools, because I think that that's such a, that's such a fascinating conversation, but it, but it is true. And uh, yeah, we were from the generation that we were told that we were free, but we were never taught because what the government fears most is a, you know, a critical thinking population because it's pretty easy to look at what's going on and say like, how is this right? Like I had a conversation at lunch today and the things that we, we were talking about, it's like, how is any of this legal? You know, we're talking about like the lobby system and how, you know, Greg Abbott got so many million dollars, like 1.6 or $1.3 million donated to a super PAC because he got up on national television and said something against green energy, right? Who made that? The Midland Energy Company. 
donates a million bucks for getting out and you know parroting a um, an oil company slogan. And I'm not I'm not opposed to fossil fuels, right? I'm not here to even touch that today because we will touch. I think that one thing that Logan and I really strive is like we want to leave no stone unturned, and we want to hop into everything as you know as much as we can and really dive into the nuances and figure out okay, like where where like at what point is this okay? At what point is it not? is it not and you know but that's just for us to decide right because we each have our own sliding scales of what is acceptable and i think that we as a society have to come up with our own you know like everybody the individual has to decide what is okay and what is not for them um but we base all of that as as we paired it so many, many times against the non-aggression principle but just to you know just to kind of you know wrap it up and put a neat little bow i think it's time that we start thinking extremely critically about the system that we live in. I mean, America didn't even end up in the top top 10 democracies or the top 10 most uh, econo the economic index freedom. We weren't a top 10. We're not a top 10 on either of those things. So it's probably time that if we are out, if we're being outpaced in freedom and in, in individual liberties and economic freedom, then something about the state has got to change. Um, you know, in a perfect world, it would go and we would be a completely voluntary society and we would all live harmoniously and the world would do that. So you wouldn't have to spend billions of dollars on national defense because we realize that it's stupid to be, you know, fighting people because their skin looks different. And it's all, you know, th that's, ah, man, it's just so frustrating. Right. But You're the, uh, the land of the free, and yet we didn't come into the top 10 in free democracies or economic freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have the largest percentage of imprisoned civil population per capita of, of almost any country in human history, unless you maybe consider North Korea an interment. I mean, yeah, the, that one's a tough one. Cause like North Korea, Russia, there's a lot of people spent to the gulags. Are, right. So right, it's like maybe human histories um, stretch, but no mountain, like, but you're correct. We have the highest GD our highest per capita per capita of prison and car incarcerations. And a lot of them for like non nonviolent drug offenses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in, in victimless crimes and, you know, the question begs is like, if there's not a victim, is it even a crime? Um, which, which goes to, that's a whole, it's a whole different topic, but uh, we've got to stop glorifying the state. We've got to stop giving it a pass. And when we fail to hold our officials accountable and we fail to actually protect and fight for the freedoms that we are not granted by our government, that our government is supposed to protect. Well, then we give our, you know, let's call it consent by silence. When the majority is silent, the government thinks that that is a yes. And that's just not true. That's right. Know what freedom is, guys. Know that you need to fight for it every day if you're going to retain it. Uh, all of human history seems to be a constant battle for freedom, whether you're looking back at the, the Jews in Egypt or the uh, American Revolution or the IRA in, in Ireland. All these stories that we hear, every great triumph of human history tends to be of a population that is oppressed, overcoming the oppressor. Uh, and don't for a second fool yourself into thinking that the state that we have right now is above that, or that it is immune to becoming that oppressive force. Um, I think it's especially interesting when we think about comparing it to um, the language that gets used on the left in today's society where it typically gets presented as white men have oppressed minorities. But I think what gets missed in that translation is it's a very selective group of white men. It's a less than 1% of white men that did that because it's only the white men that were in the state, the ones who were creating these laws that were being that oppressive force. Um, and I would invite people to understand that, expand that to each individual. The ultimate minority in our mind is the individual that you have rights and that no number of people are allowed to infringe that upon you. Um, and let's just understand that this these there are systematic racial issues in our country. Um, I'm not fighting that, but don't get screwed up on who to point that at. It's not the entirety of white males that did that to you. It is the state. The state of America has expanded and, and taken away your rights and created hurdles to make it harder for you as an individual to overcome the state. Uh, and a lot of times it is more skewed towards people of color and that's uh, abhorrent and disgusting. But again, you know, don't think for a second. I, I say a lot, uh, kind of the white privilege thing where um, I think too many people are focused on, we need to de destroy or get rid of white privilege. 
I think that's the opposite idea that we should have. I think we should try to expand that privilege to every citizen in this country, no matter what their race, creed, color are. Why would you want to take away rights from one person just because they have more rights than you? Don't you also want to express those same rights yourself? Don't you want the same economic freedom? Don't you want all of those same things, right? It is the right. The rising tide raises all boats. And I think we're running out of time. So uh, Logan, any, any wrap up thoughts? You know, that's it as always. Um, we want to continue to stress our new, uh, our new um, main trend of this show, our, our magnum opus, so to speak, that uh, people over politics, you know, understand that we can have different ideas. Um, but there are people who are good actors and there are people who are bad actors. There are people who think that they have the right idea and maybe they think communism is the best way to run a country, which Matthew or I would think was ludicrous, but at least in their heart of hearts, they're trying to help out people. And then there are people who will tell you that things are horrific that are happening and need to be stopped. Uh, and it's simply to further their own political means, their own power within this world, and that they're trying to gain fervor over you to become a stronger ruler. Amen to that, man. I guess I want to leave you guys with uh, something that I saw, which really stuck with me. Your freedoms are not dying. They're being taken away by people with names and addresses. And I think it's about time that Americans reclaim that right, that we are free and that we start pushing back and we do it peacefully and we do it through civil disobedience and we do it by, you know, slow incremental change, but surely, but slowly, but surely, we should all strive for a more freer society. Thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star review. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Against the Mob Podcast. Uh, please share, like, um, you know, just uh, just do the thing. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye.